Hello and welcome back to the next episode of Thought Architecture. So today I decided um, I wanted to do a deep dive into some initial ideas behind mental models. So the three ideas and then the final mental model that I'm going to give you today. Let's go into each idea. So the three ideas are basically talking about uh, mental models and how to make sure that you are using the right mental models by challenging your mental models, right? Number one. Number two, we are going in for this idea that uh, mental models may still be wrong, even if you have an established mental model. So the system that you have, yes, it may be wrong. And so what do we do? We need to look at the founding principles of your model or the beginning assumptions, you know, what we call the, um, you know, people say start with principles, the principle-based approach that you're basing everything on. Okay. So what do I mean by all of this? And then what mental model am I going to give you afterwards? Let's get into it very quickly. So uh, just, yeah, FYI, I've got the tea kettle on, cup of tea, making a brew. So I might have to dart off in a second and go and make my cup of tea. Okay. <laughs> So the, the idea behind mental models is very simple. It's, it's this idea that we're trying to process information in a better way. So most of the time when I see people processing information in a terrible way, usually it's automated. So people aren't um, you know, challenging themselves consciously or focused or much more deliberate. And I, even if the person's mental model is correct, I still think you should challenge yourself regularly. Why? Because things change. It's that simple. Things change around us. We get older as well. And so our founding principles or our initial assumptions about how things work will change as well. And so the very simple point is that having something that you're able to update is important. Okay. So constantly challenge yourself based on this type of thing. So be open to change is the first point. And if you are so rooted in a mental model and saying, well, it must be, it must be, it must be, um, may I invite you to consider the possibility that your emotion, your sense of self-worth and value is then tied to that mental model. And it's usually, if this is the case, it is usually a problem, right? The people who are not tied to their mental models tend to be a lot more uh, confident and comfortable with changing because they know that you know, it's not tied to their self-worth as well. Uh, but that's just my observation. Don't take that, um, you know, as a diagnostic tool by any means. Okay, so the idea was to test by asking uh, questions, usually the opposite questions. So for example, uh, a mental model is like, well, you know, there's this concept out there of if I, if I wear the same clothes every day, I eliminate a choice which gives me and frees up my time and my energy to be productive in other ways. And there is the tea kettle. Here we go. Can you hear that? It's a beautiful sound. That's the sound of old tech. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Getting settled. Okay. Cup of tea in hand. Let's carry on. So, yeah. So, this very simple idea of um, decision theory uh, or the theory of limited willpower, as you may know it, you know, the idea of decision fatigue setting in. And so, every decision you make counts because it counts towards your energy expenditure. Sure, there's a lot of data that suggests that and a lot of data that doesn't agree with it. So what do we do? Well, we look at the greats. Look at uh, Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs. and like, wow, look at what they did. And they obviously dress like this. And Matt Diavella, and he does this as well. So it must be true. There's an argument 
um, to do it in a minimalistic fashion, but less so from the decision theory idea, because we can challenge that and say, what is the ratio of CEOs or let's say founders of businesses that went to the, not just billions, let's just say millions, you know, or just even successful people who bring in enough money very comfortably doing what they enjoy, who don't do this, right? And does doing this guarantee that you're going to be better or more productive? Not necessarily. So the idea is that it could be this, this, this very simple concept of, yes, but every little bit helps. Yes, that is true. Every little bit does help. But make sure that you get the foundations down first. There's no point in supplementing a terrible diet. You know, no point. Fix your diet first and then go for the supplements because every little bit does help. Exactly. But you don't need that. So moving on. Challenge challenge those mental models okay so one of the biggest things about mental models is is to get away from the binary of yes or no it's good or bad but rather to think in systems so that you can find predictable patterns as well which means you offset a lot of your understanding decision making uh information onboarding to your model i mean that's literally the idea is that you can create categories and schema in the mind so new information comes in and we just divide it up into the different areas of the brain where those mental models exist. And we can very accurately predict the behavior of something um, that moves forward. Now, there is an issue here. For example, um, in Africa, the, the average child mortality rate, incredibly high. And one of the biggest contributors for this is actually, believe it or not, diarrhea. And children dying as a result of diarrhea. So you might ask, like, well, what's that got to do with anything? Well, it turns out that the mental model of a lot of the the people in those areas with regard to diarrhea is um i mean really this this implication is a little bit counterintuitive that is to say that well when someone is sick it's the body trying to get rid of it so for example in diarrhea um the body is trying to get rid of excess water let's say is the mental model that they are going with now the source of the diarrhea is obviously that there's some kind of um, bacteria or virus that's been detected by the body that's trying to be ejected, right, somewhere in the digestive tract. There could be a host of other reasons as well, and there could be a host of other factors. But the general mental model is that something's happened, the body is now expelling this thing. So if you understand what's going on in the body, you know that that, that water is being used up as a way of doing this, and you need to replenish water. You know, if you need to drink a lot of fluids if you've got diarrhea. Otherwise, you become dehydrated. And this is actually the difference. So the mental model in a lot of these African countries where these, these mothers are refusing to give their babies water is very simple based on this idea, the premise that the babies themselves are trying to get rid of water. So help them out by not giving them more water because it'll create more work for the body. So it comes out of a place of love without a doubt comes out of a, 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 a you know a, a thinking frame that you know makes sense but it's actually not how the system of the body works and so the system of the body is much more complicated than this binary in and out kind of situation right where you've got a root cause but you've got symptomatic things that are correlated with a particular behavior as well and so it becomes a matter of tracking let's say 10 things and putting them all into context rather than one or two things. So it's thinking in systems rather than just noticing 
one particular behavior. It's thinking about how multiple behaviors together actually connect and tell you the meaning. So that's quite interesting. Thinking systems, contextualizing things, fantastic. Okay. Now, the next point that we come to is the idea of a founding principle of a mental model. Now, a founding principle could be um, mistaken and a good, solid mental model built up around it. So the mental model is as weak as its foundations. So literally, if we're talking about someone's thought architecture, like a construction of mental models and frameworks and you know pillars of thoughts like stacked on top of each other to create these huge, you know, beautiful pieces of architecture. The foundations are going to be the founding principles of the mental model. Largely, largely, I I, I do believe that the founding principles of the mental models should be in alignment with things that are mirrored in everyday life that's observable, observable behavior. And so for the results, for, for the reasons for this, we must take a mixture of our own personal experience. We must take a mixture of data, statistics, etc., not trying to overgeneralize. The idea of a mental model is to overgeneralize anyway, to try and see a pattern. But remember that the mental model, the tops of the mental model are very light, so they're adjustable depending on the individual. So if we are going to continue this mental, uh, you know, this metaphor uh, of thought architecture, then let's imagine that the founding principles are going to be your foundations. The mental model is going to be the structure of the building itself. But then each individual case as well could be a room. And depending on who resides in that room, that room is going to look very different. And so one of the greatest mental models is perhaps understanding humans. How do humans behave? How do humans act, react, etc.? Being able to predict the, um, the patterns, the behaviors, the results of humans is, you know, obviously something that there's a lot of money vested in this. And that's why, like, you know, um, you know studying uh, psychoeconomics, you know, behavioral economics, how people respond in uh, buying situations actually shook the foundations of psychology where people were like, what is going on here? Why would that happen? It's informed a lot of what we do and actually it informs a lot of psychology based on that because we can see noticeable patterns that people are uh, corresponding to. So this is quite an interesting idea that we can box people, um, you know, based on the fact that they're, they're humans. And so humans behave in certain ways. Great. So our, start, our founding principle for this is that humans behave like this. Now, uh, a founding principle that was, of course, false in the past was the idea that one race is actually superior to another race. Um, if we look at the data, if we look at the mechanisms, biologically, there's no way for us to discern race um, above everything else. And more to the point is that um, if we challenge this idea about um, race as well, we can see that, well, you know, given contextual cues, environments, etc., or let's say cultural conditioning, uh, we can reproduce the results of any culture um, and I'm not just talking about national culture, I'm also talking about socioeconomic culture, like, for example, um, there is such a thing called uh, the culture of poverty, for example, or poverty culture. 
And you can reproduce those results with any uh, quote-unquote race of humans. And so race is something that I, I largely disagree with. It's a very complex topic, obviously, because it's not just down to uh, genetics and the arguments that we can make there, but it comes down to uh, cultural, national prides, etc., heritage. And so it is wrapped up in a world of other things. But a very simple point is that the founding fathers of USA, and I don't mean... Well, I do actually mean some of them. Yeah, yeah, sure. But let's say the original slave traders, etc. There are documents to suggest that um, they thought themselves superior. The white man was superior. You know, Rudyard Kipling has got that as well. Um, I recently discovered this, which kind of put me on a bit of a bummer because I did enjoy the Jungle Book. But the idea that um, he believed that the white race was superior. And what a load of, you know... Horseshit, that's obviously been um, proven to be, but not only that, but it's more to this point of uh, the underlying assumption was based on the assumptions of the times. Okay, that's fine. But the founding principle is not based out of a place of uh, kindness to others or taking the human race as a whole first. So taking the human race as a whole first and understanding the mechanisms behind the human body, the mechanisms behind the human mind, you know, the mechanisms behind um, universal emotions, we can then start to come up with better understandings of how humans work and more predictable understandings of how humans work. And then if you localize humans to particular areas and to particular socioeconomic groups, we can start to predict patterns of behavior even more, right? So, for example... Um, what type of attitudes are Brazilians likely to have versus Swiss likely to have versus British people are likely to have. And then when we tie in uh, national heritage as well, so within uh, British peoples, we've still got the Welsh, the Scottish, the English, and then within then you could have like a particular family whose cultural background is more like, let's say, uh, Indian for three generations past, came over, immigrated, etc., and now we have um, second, third generation, um, you know, British people from that family. They're still going to have a cultural influence and identity. And how does that actually work in their minds? So that's a very interesting thing to consider is this idea that um, the founding principles of a mental model are very important. And so the founding principles that I base a lot of my data on is how do humans work as a as an animal, if I had to observe them, if I were an alien observing for space, and I looked at huma humanity, how does humanity function, all right? And then I think about myself in this context of humanity as well. And then I think about individual humans I know as well. And this brings up the mental model that I'm recommending, um, you know, for today, which is, I call it the forest uh, mental model, which is very simple. There's a forest, Great, and that is a principle that we are examining. And then there is the tree, and each tree is different. Each tree by no means uh, looks the same, could be completely different, but they share characteristics, and hence we group them together into this one forest. Um, and each tree could be an exception to the rule of average, you know, the law of averages, or it could prove the law of averages. And so that's a great way to say things like, well, you know, my Nana smoked until she was 95 and she, she had a great life and all that kind of stuff. And, and you're like, great, so is your grandmother an exception to the rule or does she prove the rule? 
well, what rule is she trying to prove? What exception is she? So the rule is, let's say, smoking is unhealthy for you. That's the principle that we're trying to we're trying to look at. This person provides an exception to the rule, but they try and throw it in there to be smart, clever, whatever the case may be, or try and disprove you. But you can say, do you think that that's an exception to the rule, or do you think that by and large that that proves the rule? Well, no, that's clearly an exception to the rule. So that's fine. There are outliers to everything. There are outliers, and it could be for whatever reason that she lived to ninety-five. But also, the next thing is that, do you think that she could have had a longer life despite smoking? You know, do you think that smoking prolonged her life or enhanced her life quality? Or do you think it decreased her life quality? So we're, again, provoking these kind of things. And we're going to bring in other data based on our experiences, based on, um, you know, what we know about the world. And so largely people would say, well, maybe she could have lived longer had it not been for smoking. Maybe, 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 maybe. Great. So we're a little bit more flexible now as well. But then... The thing is, is that you can't see the forest for the trees, right? We're looking at the principle, we're looking at the examples, but these are the examples as we see them, the principle as we are exposed to them. So you need to note that if there is a forest somewhere, let's say abstract forest in the middle of metaphor land, you standing on the ground, being able to see this forest are only going to see a portion of all the trees in the forest, and you could estimate the size of the entire forest. And you could estimate and guess, predictable, what type of trees are in this forest. But unless you have walked around this forest and seen it from every single angle, as well as then burrowed underneath the ground, as well as flown a helicopter over the top of this forest, there's no way that you can say that you know this forest exactly. And even then, even then, imagine when you are viewing that forest from one angle you still cannot simultaneously view that forest from two steps to your left. You can't view something simultaneously. It's impossible. So in that one moment in time, these are the examples that you see. This is the principle that you see. And so it usually helps to have someone to catch you, to observe you observing the forest as well, um, or to come at it and, and show you what the other side of the forest looks like, all kinds of stuff like that. So usually... When I understand this, it's the idea of understand what is the, the principle, the rule, the thing that we're discussing, what are the examples of the thing that we're discussing, and then also what is your perspective, where you occupy a certain space in time viewing this. You cannot see all the trees. It's impossible, right? You'd have to change location regularly to see all the trees, but by the time you've changed location and seen all the trees, when you come back to your original spot, the trees have probably grown. Some have been cut down. You know, some have changed, you know, shed leaves, all that kind of stuff. So it's just this idea of you cannot be in all places at one time. So cut yourself some, some slack. Give yourself a break. So if we're going to put this into perspective, we can talk about this idea of, you know, how did people figure out that water was dehydration? You know, um, sorry, diarrhea led to dehydration and water was a way to kind of fix that. Well, we come up with this idea that if the population is large enough, they can figure this out because there's enough trial and error. But if there's enough scientific inquiry as well, you know, the societies can figure that out because they look at, um, you know, different markers in the body upon autopsy. So we know that the improvement of medical knowledge and scientific inquiry increased once people were uh, okay with the idea that we could operate on the dead. We can do um, some type of autopsy. 
to see what's going on. And so really to look into the mechanisms of what is happening in order to, in order to further our knowledge. It's a very, very important topic to talk about. So that's it for today. The mental model I've suggested is the forest for the trees model, like I call it the forest model. And uh, it's a good way to check yourself as well. So it, it goes with that founding idea that I said, which is challenge your, your mental models. You know, notice where you're coming from. Notice, is this an example? Is this a rule? And then also from there, making sure that you're thinking in systems and giving people the space to change. Until next time, I've been your host, Justin. This has been Thought Architecture. And on a parting note, um, what I'm trying to do at the moment is... Um, figure out and grow and and get this idea out to more people so feel free to share this if it adds value to you if you like these little dabbles of thinking and whatnot uh, please share it around also if there is a particular mental model that you want challenged you would like to hear me talk about my particular ideas on it or if you want to challenge me on if you want to have a conversation about this that's another thing that might be pretty cool all right so let me know send me a message lots of love to you all i hope you have a wonderful week Take care.